Welcome to That's Marketing Baby, the weekly show where two marketing besties talk all things marketing in the world of B2B and B2C. I'm your co-host, Susan Winograd, and I've spent over 20 years in marketing focusing on paid media and email marketing. And I'm Jess Cook, copywriter and creative director turned content marketer. Every week, we'll tackle a topic that's on our minds and hopefully yours too. Ready? Let's go. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Aircule. Aircule is an agency focused solely on organic growth for B2B SaaS brands. I've worked with them before, and I can tell you I've never felt so confident and in control of my content strategy, SEO, and analytics. They also have this great free tool, Automo, that translates Google Analytics into actual usable data. Which pages are killing it, which ones are declining, and what you can do about it. Check them out and give Automo a whirl at E-R-C-U-L-E dot C-O. And now, on with the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode two in season two of That's Marketing Baby. I am Susan Winograd. I am here with my amazing co-host, Jess Cook. Say hi, Jess. Hi. <laughs> so we made it through season Two, episode one, and now we are we're off and running. We are in the second of the second now, the yes. second episode of the second season. So we're going to talk today about influencer marketing in B2B. Mm. And I love this juicy. topic. Yeah, it's juicy <laughs> and it's also I just love conversations around the human element of B2B. Yeah. It makes me so happy because I feel like it was never done forever. I just think about like those old school. IBM print ads, you know, just like really white background, blah, 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 blah. And I really love that more and more it's less about the company and more about the people that run it or more about the people that are experts about the problems that they solve. Yeah. So I loved when you were like, you know, we should talk about that. I was like, yeah, we should. I mean, we talk so much about humanizing B2B marketing, which I also think it's a superpower we kind of share, albeit in like different tactics and places. Because yeah. um, we started on the, the B2C side, it's like we're so used to marketing to humans. Yeah. But it's always funny when you come into B2B and you're like, we're not talking to computers. We're still talking to people, people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the influencer marketing thing, I've loved watching that start to become a thing. So it is a thing. So why don't we start talking about the fact that it's a thing? It's a thing. So I think Instagram influencers, TikTok influencers, mm-hmm. It's traditionally been like a B2C play or like D2C play. And it's now kind of found its way into B2B. And I think that's really exciting because like you said, Susan, like it just brings that human element into B2B. It allows you to kind of step outside of the company a bit. And, you know, a lot of these influencers have so much trust and credibility built up already that like you associate yourself with that. And I think Mm -hmm. that that is really, really powerful. Yeah. In a way that like feels different than the traditional like TikTok or Instagram influencer, Mm -hmm. right? So I don't know. There's something there that's really, really exciting. I think what we want to talk about today is like, this is very much more of like a word of mouth play. Mm -hmm. I loved how you you put this earlier and we were kind of like getting our notes together for this episode, but like There are some things you can go to Google for and like Mm -hmm. Google, I have this problem and what's the solution. But like, there are some things that you don't even realize are a problem until you hear someone that you like admire or follow or interested in their ideas, like talk about it. Yeah. And I think that is like some of the most powerful aspects of 
influencer marketing for B2B is like, yeah, I feel that way too. I've just never been able to put it into words. Like I don't Mm -hmm. even know, I didn't even understand how to frame that as a problem. And you just brought it up for me. And I think that that's really interesting. Yeah. And I think that that's what, that's what we try and do in marketing and product marketing, but it's different when it's a person that you know, knows your world and they articulate it. It's just, it's a different thing than having a company being like, oh, this solves A, B, and C. It's like, but does it really, you know? Yeah. Versus a person that's like, this was driving me crazy. So we made this thing. And you're like, okay, so they really get why this is an issue, right? Yeah. It's like, or why we needed this thing. And I think that the thing you mentioned before about Google, it's so rampant. Like there are so many companies I advise and work with. And when I tell them you don't stop spending so much money in Google, like they are, they're horrified. They're like, yeah. why are you telling come like, because I guarantee it's probably doing very little for you, yeah. which it's so weird for me to say because like Google ads is what, I mean, it's what I've spoken on for a bazillion years. I've done it since 2007. Like I know the platform, like the back of my hand, I love it for what it's good for, but it's, it is not as good. It struggles more on B2B. It works, yeah. but it's like, it struggles more. It doesn't have as much data. You know, it's a longer sales cycle, but just forget all the technical, you know, and algorithmic limitations. When you're at an enterprise company and you have a problem you have to solve for in a 10,000 person company, you're not going to Google for the solution. Right. When I mention that to a lot of brands, they're like, oh yeah, you're, I'm like, do you Google when you decide to switch HR platforms? And they're like, no. And I'm like, right. It's the same thing, you know, but everyone just automatically assumes because they use Google for everything. Right. That this Google does all the things, right? Yeah. And there have been so many companies where it's like, we've just cut their, I can think of two off the top of my head. We've cut their spend by probably 80 to 90%. And and moved everything over to the LinkedIn side and the results got better after 90 yeah. days. And so the other part of it too, it's like you, if you think about who is searching for stuff, they're probably very small. So if yeah. you're in B2B and it's like SMB or, you know, like single person e-com operator type stuff, like, like I've mentioned, like I run a candle company on the side, right? Like I'll Google for solutions to stuff to that because I'm not an enterprise company. I can't afford the enterprise inventory management stuff. Right. But even then it was like, I initially got a lot of my suggestions from YouTubers, podcasts. I listened to same thing. Right. So that was why I feel like this is also so important is because there's still this knee jerk reaction for companies to be like, but Google answers everyone's problems. I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't anticipate them. Right. Like just, it's not as good of a discovery engine. It is for content. It's not great for product discovery. And it's not great for trust. Like, I think yeah. that's the big thing. Like, yeah. I see Dave Gerhart talk about a tool he uses, or he has a sponsor for his show. Mm-hmm. And immediately I'm like, I don't think Dave would, he wouldn't choose a sponsor that he wasn't like yeah. interested in at the very least, or felt like as a good product, right? Yeah. So there's already that trust built in. Mm-hmm. And so you can't really get that. Yeah. It's not a traditional ad that someone's paying to place somewhere, right? Totally. Yeah. Totally. All right. So we have kind of broken this down into like two kind of sides of the influencer coin, if you will. Internal influencers and external influencers. We're going to start with internal. Mm -hmm. This is like a really big kind of movement right now is using your founder or the folks within your company who have direct experience and knowledge of this problem or like would be a buyer if they weren't mm-hmm. at your company, yeah. right? So I think that's why like when you and I were at Marpipe, that made so much sense for us to be like the people on the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Because we had already experienced all of those problems and we could talk to them in that way. It gave us credibility. It lended trust to the brand, right? So internally, how can you find the, like, how do you know it's they're the right person or like, how do you get that started? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that first. So I think 
a lot of times they'll already have a following for other reasons, perhaps. And they could be tangentially related to the thing that they're known for. So like, if you're like Wix is big on this, they've become really well-respected among SEOs, which is unusual for a, you know, a, a remade platform, but they have Morty over there and Morty does a great job. He's, he's an SEO that knows what he's doing. He understands the challenges that have existed in the past about having a pre-made kind of drag and drop web platform still perform well for SEO. That's been a challenge for a long time. He understood how to get those things addressed and how to demonstrate value to the SEO community. I think, you know, those kinds of things make it a little easier. I work with Winter, obviously, and Pep, who's one of the co-founders, he co-founded CXL. He has an agency called Spiros. He's been making content for so many years and he's brilliant and people really respect his opinions on things. Yeah. So it was kind of funny because when he had approached me about helping with the marketing, I already knew I believed in the product because he made it, right? Like I hadn't even used the platform yet, but I'm like, he would, A, he wouldn't make something that sucks. Yeah. (laughs) And B, he's very big on making sure that what is created fits the need that's out there. So even in the situations of the brands you decide to work with or for, if that founder, you know, is someone that knows this stuff, it just makes such a difference because you're like, they're putting their personal name to this thing, which is very different than a company that's like, hey, buy our stuff, right? And it's made, it's with ads made by people that were just hired to do that. It's right. different when it's someone that's like, I'm attaching my name to this, my face to this. And it just becomes a much more human thing. And I don't want to say personal because it's still business, but it's like it personally means something to them that they're fixing this problem, I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah, absolutely. So actually going back to Dave Gerhart has a book called Founder Brand, right? Mm-hmm. And and that book is all about this. Yeah. How do you get your founder to be the face of the company? And how yeah. do you use that as a marketing strategy? So great read. Um, highly recommend it. But I think something you just touched on there is really interesting, which is they have a personal tie to this thing. There was probably a moment in their life where they, right before they founded the company, where they realized this was an issue, a problem, and a solution that met their standards was not available yet. Mm -hmm. And so like that story in and of itself is really powerful. Mm -hmm. Like how can you get that out of them? Yeah. And then I think part of it is like, sometimes they need a bit of help knowing that like, hey, we need you to kind of be out there talking about this, either getting on podcasts or being on LinkedIn. Some of them are very introverted too. I mean, they're, which I get, because I'm an introvert in my personal life. So I think to them that, you know, they see their role as, you know, CEO or founder or president or to run the company. And so yeah. it's, it's kind of, I feel like it's sort of a newer thing that there is, I don't want to say an expectation, but helpful it actually is for you right. to be involved in that stuff. Because previously it's like, you'd have the CEO of Delta, but they have media handlers and PR people that coach that, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's a very overly polished yes. existence. And that part's always existed. But I think this idea that you being a human and interacting with other people as a human and not and not as a logo, I feel like that's something that's just become a lot more prolific in the past few years. And it's yeah. still something, but it's not something that most people have been trained on or know how to do. It's like they- Correct. That's so true. Like with every entrepreneur, right? Like you'll have like the best mechanic in the world and you have the worst marketing on the planet, right? It's like they yeah. do the thing that they're good at, right? Yeah. So to your point, I mean, it's like, I feel like that's where- marketing teams can help with that stuff where it's like, even if they're introverted, it's like, great, then don't be on camera, write something, yeah. you know, it's kind of yeah, like help exactly. them figure out like, how can they What's the best way to go about this for you? Exactly. That they can do and keep up with and not feel like it's one more thing to do or feel like it's a burden, but that like, it gives them a chance to get excited about what they've built. 
Yeah, exactly. And like put the company point of view out there, right? Mm -hmm. Or like something happens in the market or there's a new trend. Like they're definitely going to have a point of view on that. Yeah. And you're going to want to get that out, right? So even if it's just like sitting down with them once a month, recording an interview with them for 30 minutes so you can, whether you actually use the video or not, but like you can go back and kind of refer to that. But just getting their thoughts every once in a while will really help. I feel like that's always the thing is like they feel like they should do it, but then they just kind of feel like a stunned sheep. <laughs> They're kind of like, I've, you know, I've had that discussion. Like I'm not, to start. I'm not like an important founder or anything, but I've had that where I'm like, I need to write a post. <laughs> I'm just stared at <laughs> blank screen. I'm like, I don't know what to talk about. But yeah. if someone said, hey, talk about this or tell me about this, I could write you an entire book, right? It's like, do you just need someone to be that catalyst? Absolutely. And then there's people in the company, like doesn't even have to be the founder, but if there's someone in the company who is well-known mm -hmm. or vocal or already has kind of an online presence yeah. who can speak to, you know, either what your company does mm -hmm. or what they do at your company that yeah. makes it special, right? Like yeah. there's so many of those folks. I know about Airmeet because of Nick Bennett. I mm -hmm. learned about Gong through Devin Reed, right? Like I learned about Grizzle because of Eric Schneider. Like mm -hmm. I wouldn't have known about those companies if I hadn't first air quotes met yeah. Those folks first. Right. And so I think there's something to be said about really giving your people the space to talk about what they do at your company just to like, I mean, shoot, it's free trust. It's free credibility. It's free airtime. And they don't, I mean, the other part too, is it's like, that's usually not even yeah. their job. It's just, they actually believe in so much in what they work on every day that yeah. they talk about it. How much higher of a, you know, stamp of approval can you get? All right. That was internal folks. Did we hit all the points there? Yeah. I think we hit the points right. there. Yeah. So then you've got external folks, right? So this is kind of where the line between what brands have been doing in D2C and retail and beauty and all of those things for a long, long time and kind of where yeah. it's starting to now bleed over to B2B. And that is finding someone mm -hmm. outside your company to kind of, you know, be a spokesperson for your brand. Yeah. So something we wanted to talk about here was like, how do you choose that person? How do you yeah. know that like, that's going to be a good fit? And we have a couple thoughts there. So the first one is obviously you're going to want someone who has a decent sized audience, whose mm -hmm. audience also would be part of your audience, right? So yeah, I like to think about this as like, okay, when you have a guest on your podcast, right? Like at Lasso, we have the we have a podcast called Corralling the Chaos, and we bring guests on to that podcast. And like something I like to know is like, do they have a decent sized audience before I go into this? Like, because if mm -hmm. I give them a clip and they post it, I want another ten thousand people that maybe don't follow Lasso yet to see us. And yeah. so it's kind of like how how can you widen your net of an audience? So you just yeah. want to make sure they they have some sort of of following, right? Doesn't have to be huge. And that they make sense for your, to be now in your audience. There's some sort of overlap. Yeah. That's Marketing Baby is sponsored by Teal. If you're a B2B marketer looking to make your next right career move, Teal can help you leapfrog your resume to the top of the stack. Their AI resume builder helps you tailor your resume to specific open positions fast. All you have to do is import your resume or LinkedIn profile one time and Teal does the rest. It even uses AI to rephrase your experience and achievements so they really pop. Even better, it's free to get started at tealhq.com. All right, back to the show. I think tied to that too is, and I feel like this is really somewhat more unique to B2B because 
there's a vast difference if you're like a TikTok influencer, but like, let's say you're like a mom influencer, right? There's 80 million products that you use in a day. So it's easy for you to not be a spokesperson, but be an influencer through many different facets. In B2B, you don't use 80 different tools as a CRM. You know what I mean? So that's kind of the other thing is I think you have to be a little selective in someone that's like, it's not like they've been an influencer for six other CRMs in the past. And you know what I mean? I was thinking about that the other day when I knew we were going to talk about this topic. I was trying to think in my mind, how do I articulate like the difference between those? But when on the D2C side, as a consumer, you just use so many different things in a day that yes, you might recommend three different laundry detergents. You know what I mean? Because you could potentially use those. I think the thing that's harder with B2B is it's like they really have to you know, die on the hill for that one thing, right? Otherwise it's like, you're just like, they said that they use this CRM in this other podcast I listened to. And now they're saying that, you know what I mean? It's like, it's very easy to pick up on that because you don't, you don't duplicate tools in the B2B world. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you don't. So I think that that's the other thing is understanding, like, have they been an influencer for other things before? What were they influencers for? What was the circumstances that they stopped working with that brand if it's in the same vertical as yours. Like I think understanding those things become a lot more important. I think that's a great idea. That's just another lens to look at it through. Mm -hmm. Because again, that's either going to boost or degrade kind of the credibility and trust that person has. So that's super smart. The next idea we had around like just some criteria to look at for external influencers is do they have a point of view? And does it align with your brand point of view? And if there's overlap there, that's really, really magical. Because what it does is it is kind of this social proof that the point of view that your brand stands behind is also kind of believed in by the experts. And like, what better way to validate that? They had that POV before they even started. You know what I mean? I think that's the other part that's so important. Like, I think one of the the people that's really good about that is if you ever listen to Pat Flynn, um, Smart Passive Income, he became, he was like an investor or co-owner or something of ConvertKit. Oh yeah. We actually use that for our email, but like I could tell that it had his kind of, viewpoint and stuff like it because it it handled things differently at the time now it has a bunch of you know knockoffs but when it came out it's like being able to like monetize your content through the email platform you already have you know like making email flows that are simple and that make sense there weren't a lot that were really great for content so many email providers were so focused on e-com so it's like i knew it was kind of that thing where it's like that had always been his pov was that you should be using email for these things so then when he started promoting this thing that he had helped build, I'm like, it already aligned, like it was built because he already felt that yeah. way. So to your point, it's kind of like the brand of what they made to make it for creators like us, it already coincided with what he'd been saying for years. You know, like he'd been saying it long before it even existed, which makes it so much more credible. Yeah. I'd also say, take a look at like what they're against, right? Like what mm-hmm. don't they care for? What do they, what don't they find to be a great way to solve a problem, right? Last couple of criteria we have. Personality, obviously, like if you are a developer audience, you're going to want somebody whose personality resonates with that group. Same thing with marketers, Mm -hmm. right? Like you just kind of have to take a look at who, what do they think like? What do they act like? Is that going to resonate with people? Is it going to be too much? Is it going to be too little, right? So obviously personality matching with like the brand personality. Credibility, I think going back to like, if they've already promoted three other CRMs, like probably not as a CRM brand. They're just going to get paid chill. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. How often do they do this? Are they very selective about how often they're choosing to promote a brand? Things like that. So yeah. 
And then just looking at like, do they how engaged are their followers? Do their followers feel mm-hmm. this is a credible person, right? I think yeah. that's really important. And then authenticity. Do they feel relatable? Do they feel like someone you would want your brand tied to? Yeah. This isn't celebrity marketing, but like we've all seen the brands that like tie themselves to yeah. a celebrity and then they're like, oh, dang it. Something yeah. happens, a scandal goes down and they're like, just kidding. We've cut ties with that person, right? Um, like Adidas yeah. and Kanye yeah. West, like, right? Yeah. So, I was thinking about Tiger Woods too when yeah. all stuff came out about like, yeah. like sexually Subway, harassing him. Like, was like, like, oh God, I know. Right? So like, you don't want a Subway Jared situation, which I don't think that's right. extreme. And again, we're talking about celebrities there. Put all that eggs in that basket. It's risky if you don't know who you're totally with. Understand their beliefs, their values, like before you jump in. Yeah. I'm excited to see where this goes because I feel like it's still in its infancy. Totally. And it was one of the things that we had said on the media side that we really felt like the world is starting to get it was when LinkedIn opened up thought leadership ads. Yeah. So like you're, and we just started testing those for one of the companies I work with. So they were finally starting to understand that yes, you have a company page, but that like a lot of times people follow the individual employees, right? Like that's where a lot of the following mass comes from. And it's hard to grow a company page without that association. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like it, it you want to make sure that people make that connection in their mind of like this is that person's company even if they own it or not just you know relatively speaking about possession. But I felt like that was the first acknowledgement that like okay this it is a thing. You know, it's like we've had that ability on the Instagram side and like, you know, Spark ads with TikTok where it's like you can loop in a testimonial that someone else has made and run it off your account. It was like finally LinkedIn made something because that was always the hardest part was I'd work with brands and they're like, well, our, you know, our founder or the the person that everybody knows with this brand, like they write stuff, but we, so that was the other thing where I was like, I felt like that was the first baby step. And I'm just, I'm so curious to see, cause it's not going to stop there. Right. So like, I'm very curious to see like, does it get monetized in other ways? Like you see on, you know, on Instagram or yeah. like, what are they going to do in the future? I'm just super excited to see where it goes. I just, I think it's, it's so in its little baby stage totally. right now. So from experience, I have done this with one company that I really mm-hmm. believe in that I personally use and have posted about them on LinkedIn. And, you know, just some things that really help me out that they have given me are obviously like brand guidelines, things like that, helping me understand like their unique position. What are the things that they're trying to get across in, in the market? And the other thing they give me is like full creative control. And I, I think that mm-hmm. is so important, especially when you're talking to creators. So yeah, because it's got to be in their voice. It's like the second you try and script nope. it, it just doesn't yeah. work. And so like I send things to them approval, but that is all that I do, right? It's not like there's all this yeah. input or they're writing it for me, anything like that. I'm running ideas past them and they're like, that sounds awesome. So yeah, I think those are two really big things is like help them understand your vision, kind of where you're trying to get the company to go in terms of positioning and messaging, because that's helpful for the creator, but then also like let them do their thing. I think if you choose the right person, you're not going to go wrong there. Yeah. And that's also why you should have chosen them in the first place, right? You should have chosen them because they have that voice. Absolutely. Okay. So that is influencer marketing in B2B. Speaking of influencers, I'm kind of excited because this is going to be the first season. I mean, it's only our second season, so it's not like, you know, we've done eight of these or whatever, but we are going to start having some guests on and we're not going to make it every episode because we said we don't want it to, you know, always be interviews, but we wanted to very carefully hand select people that we felt like were very deeply into 
certain subjects in the B2B world who either, I think we know all of them, like we're having a total of four for the first half of the year. And for me, my two are people that I've worked with. So I know how their brain works. And it's like, I've seen their results. And it's like, it's easy for me to look at the experience, say, these are the things they do that I don't see anybody else do, or I don't see them do them as well or explain them as well. Right. So one of the things that we wanted to avoid is like, we don't want to just have like big names on to have big names on. It was like, I wanted people and you were the same way where we're like, there's something that they do that we haven't really seen anyone else do quite like that right? It's like we want it to be something like they're not regurgitating the same stuff. They're, I hate to say the term thought leaders because it's just such a trite term, but like they are. It's like they really do talk and post about things in ways that other people don't. So our next episode, I'm not going to say the first one is yet. No, I'm not going to say, but it's someone that I've known for a bunch of years. He's known by many, many people. He's highly entertaining. So (laughs) it will not be a boring I was going to say like all of these guests also, they pass the vibe test. Like they can vibe with us. Yeah. Yeah, we're picky. We like we like fun, welcoming people that can actually have fun and they don't take themselves overly seriously. I was thinking too, we didn't have an analogy this episode, so we failed. But speaking of speaking of sense of humor, but so yeah, our next episode is actually going to be an interview. So we will both be on with a mystery guest. We will not be announcing just yet, but you will find out closer to the drop day. So thanks for coming along, and that's marketing. That's marketing, baby. baby. See you next time. See you guys. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to That's Marketing, Baby. If you dig what we're putting down, be sure to subscribe and share with your marketing besties. Because, you know, hot marketers don't gatekeep. And if you're like, this is not enough, I need more, we got you. Rants and Raves is the official newsletter of That's Marketing, Baby. Every week, Susan and I share one thing we love and loathe in the world of marketing. Get on the list at that'smarketingbaby.com. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye.